Manx Radio News at one o'clock. Fast am I, I'm Tim Glover. The Treasury Minister says public finances won't recover from the impact of COVID-19 for another three years. Alf Cannon's presented the one-year-only pink book to Timwell members today, the final budget of this administration. It estimates COVID will have cost more than £200 million and promises investment in health and social care services. There are no changes to tax. Pensions have risen by 2.5% and has been a small increase in other benefits. Mr Cannon ended his speech with a list of what he considers are the highlights of the budget. £15 million more for health, over £17 million more for climate change and its impact, capital projects reformed, an economic recovery group delivering increased training and reskilling opportunities, investing in high-speed fibre and the local economy, a new Manx development agency to develop brownfield sites, £30 million of contingency funding and plans to deal with uncertainty, a new economic framework on its way, £600,000 for charitable causes through the Dormant Assets Act, and, Mr President, despite the pressures, no tax increases, bringing stability to household incomes and businesses in equal measure. This year's budget doesn't offer support to school children from disadvantaged backgrounds impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. That's the concern raised by Ramsey MHK Laurie Hooper. Mr Hooper expressed disappointment over a number of omissions, including the lack of an increase to the income tax personal allowance. He believes more could have been done to help those who have had their education disrupted over the last year. I'm disappointed not to have seen additional dedicated funding for the education service to help mitigate the impact of coronavirus disruption on students' education, specifically for those from more disadvantaged backgrounds. I recall last year that the Department for Education put forward a bid for a Manx pupil premium style fund, which would have been used to help lift up the whole education service. And it's unfortunate not to see anything in this budget either. Former Onken MHK Peter Caron has called the lack of affordable housing on the island a social cancer. He's been speaking on a live Man in Line budget special. Overall, he thinks the budget is good for the most vulnerable in society, but he thinks housing is the biggest issue which hasn't been addressed properly. The fact that the Chief Minister, the urge of Ashok, is saying that there's the, the housing lists have gone down. Of course they've gone down because the stupid levels as far as people being able to go on the housing list. We've got to bring in the initiatives that we've looked at for years and not throw more money at the developers and the, 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 the lucky few. We need to bring in the certain houses are there for nests and not nest eggs. Former politician and current trustee of Manx National Heritage, Phil Gorn, has criticised government for a lack of support for the island's culture. One example he mentioned during the Man in Line programme was the deteriorating condition of the Laxey Wheel, which is not turning at the moment. Mr Gorn says it's deeply concerning Treasury is choosing short-term gain for long-term pain. Treasury members saying that no capital bid was made for funds to repair the Laxey Wheel. This is the first time ever that government won't be funding the repairs to the Lexi wheel. Um, that is absolutely shocking. Well, first time since it came into government ownership. Shocking. A bid was put in. It was a revenue bid. Uh, so Treasury picking, picking hairs here. 
An MHK is questioning why the horse tramway from Broadway to the C-Terminal won't be completed at the same time as the Douglas Promenade works. GARF member Daphne Kane raised concerns over the lack of support for heritage transport in response to Treasury Minister Alf Cannon's budget speech. She accused the government of redirecting public criticism of the project, which is now not expected to be finished until July. Mrs Kane asked why the rails aren't being installed until a later date. It seems voting for the additional budget is a way of covering up further overspend on the promenade scheme and a deliberate way of redirecting public (coughs) criticism from all that incompetence to the horse trams themselves. Why has it been so problematic to deliver? The island used to be a pioneer of new technology and transport solutions. Now it is incapable of rebuilding two miles of shared space on time and on budget. And would it rather bin part of the scheme than accomplish the original vision? One headline from across, it's estimated one in five people in England had COVID antibodies last month, suggesting they've either had the virus or the vaccine. The ONS says over 80s were more likely to have them, but in Scotland and Wales, it was 16 to 24-year-olds. The weather turning rather cloudy for a while this afternoon, with the risk of an odd shower or two. Fresh to strong south to southwest winds moderating and temperatures up to 10 Celsius. Manx Radio News at five minutes past one or next at two o'clock. In the meantime, keep up to date by following Manx Radio on social media or going to manxradio.com. Will you still wear your mask and keep your distance at ShopRite? Think so for some, no for others. Please respect each other's right to choose. ShopRite, proudly locally owned. Businesses operating in the Isle of Man can trust Western Union Business Solutions to help you and your customers manage the risk of doing international business post-Brexit. Our mainland UK offices are set up to help organisations continue trading from the Isle of Man with our expertise and extensive global network. For a personalised service based on your objectives, switch to Western Union Business Solutions. Western Union Business Solutions is not and is not required to be licensed by the Isle of Man Financial Services Authority. Need a new TV? Waltons offer a great selection. All on display and all in stock from the latest Samsung, LG or Sony. Call in and see the difference for yourself or visit waltons.im. Your business can grow its market share four times faster when you use the radio. Be heard by nearly 49,000 islanders over 13 weeks. Call us on 682 600. Manx Radio is proud to support Manx businesses and communities. SMS Trading. New and second-hand furniture. From flat pack to fully built. See our range at Unit 24, Gladstone Park, Ramsey. All island delivery and man in a van service available. Call SMS Trading on 315-151 or find SMS Trading on Facebook. Find a fabulous range of Venetian, vertical, roller and pleated blinds, including space-saving into and loonies of Ramsey. Discover the advantage of free measuring, professional fitting and a full aftercare service. Let loonies of Ramsey guide you to your perfect blinds. The Nation Station, Names Radio. And good afternoon and welcome back again. My thanks indeed to Andy Wint and his guests. Uh, what a conversation that was. Very interesting indeed. I have in front of me uh, three legs in armour, flexed at the knee and conjoined at the thigh, all proper garnished and spurred. You probably know what I'm describing. It's the Manx emblem, the three legs of man. Uh, however you throw me, 
I stand. And that really, I suppose, is the background to this particular budget. A budget, it's been called, of resilience, but it came with some big numbers. Let me give you some of them right from the start of Mr. Cannon's speech. Uh, we have reduced our cash balances by 146 million, seen our forecasted income reduced by over 80 million, and spend over 100 million in direct financial support to our economy and our people. These figures may cause some to draw breath. But, Mr. President, at what price the health of the nation, what price the protection of jobs and business, what price the protection of critical national infrastructure, and at what price our economic stability for the future? Joining me around the table, uh, including amongst our guests, I'll be introducing them in just a moment. But first, let me turn to the Chief Minister, Howard Quell, with me. Uh, Mr. Quell, thanks for joining us. You must be very pleased with the sort of budget that has come out of this process. Yes, well, when you look, I think when we look going forward at other budgets in jurisdictions around the rest of the world, there won't be many that can um, pull out of the out of the hat what the Treasury team have, have done this year. But it's not just this year's budget, it's the financial prudence of the last administration and this administration and getting the island to, we were predicting a 12 million surplus, the first surplus in, in, in a long time since you take into account the the VAT renegotiations back in, in 2008 and the financial crash around the, around the world. So we were getting the island back on track and it's because we were in that position that we've been able, and because the Great Manx public have followed the rules and regulations, they've enabled us to come out of lockdown quickly and as a result of that, businesses have been able to carry on Whereas if we look at other areas, they haven't. And if people hadn't have follow, followed the rules, they wouldn't have had the freedoms themselves. But equally, our finance sector, our businesses, shops, etc., would have been really hit. Uh, my colleague, Beth Espy, is gagging to get in. But can I just ask you one question? People might be listening to this and said, you have always complimented the Manx people for what they've done. They've obeyed the rules. They've done very well. But there are not many lollipops for them in this, are there? There are not many pats on the back. Well, a 2.5% increase for all our pensioners where we're raising some allowances. Inflation is only 0.5%, so if you give a 2.5% increase to the thousands of pensioners on the Isle of Man, that's a significant increase. And if, if you look at, as I say, all those economies around us, to be able to stand still and not um, to raise taxes, cuts, I think is a phenomenal position to be in. And just being able to do that in itself is a massive success. I, I suppose because the budget presented was so level, we're sort of greedy for more and thinking, why wasn't there more? Well, if you look at, if you average out, out over the last five years, the raising of the tax threshold, it's, it's the biggest in any administration that we can remember. Um, so, yes, we haven't been able to do an awful lot this year, but I think given the fact that of the world's um, state and, and the reductions and the money that we've had to spend supporting business, which was well spent, just to, to give a normal budget is a massive success. Chief Minister, there's no doubt that this is a one-year budget. It's also a budget in the run-up to an election, so people would not have been expecting things like tax rises anyway. I just want to... to to cover a couple of the items that you mentioned when you were speaking after the Treasury Minister. You said that we'd implemented a living wage over here. That's not strictly true. We found a figure of 10.19, but our current minimum wage is still somewhat underneath that, 8.25. So people still being 
hit in the pocket effectively. Yes, but we've implemented it and where we've brought it into our government employees, local authorities. It's going you're never going to implement it overnight, but we have actually started. We've gone on the journey of, of implementing this. But as I say, we, we need to we could have been staring down the barrels of tax increases. We had been predicted when we'd had experts review the situation in April of last year. We were looking down at potentially three, 4,000 people unemployed and a 600 million hole in our budget. That's what, given the circumstances we were in in March, April of last year, that's where we were looking at. We're not in that position and that's, a, that's really great but, and that's why we haven't been able, we haven't um, had to increase taxes and, and reduce tax allowances, which other jurisdictions have got to pay the bill. We were lucky that we had reserves as well um, available to us. You also though mentioned unemployment, which you said was under a thousand. It's actually currently standing at 1,034 and we no, are that's seeing... January. I've got the latest figures. Well, uh, but looking at January then, obviously that's, it is a better story, but people who are in the position of facing redundancy, what are they getting out of this budget? What are they seeing for them? Well, they're saying support. We've, we're pumping extra millions into education through uh, and to UCM, University College Isle of Man, to retrain and, and help those people get the well-paid jobs. Now, it's tough. I, I don't um, try to make out that for some people it's, it's been incredibly hard, but the numbers are small from where they could have been and we are doing everything with the Department for Enterprise looking on the retraining and grants to help businesses and to help individuals get back into the job market. As I say, we had it down to circa 800 um, before the second um, lockdown and that was exactly the number give or take, when this, this at the start of the administration in October 2016, it was 800, we got it down to 400, one of the lowest unemployment rates anywhere. And sadly, because of COVID, we have seen an increase in unemployment. We want to desperately get that number back down again. But I think if you look at the bigger picture, uh, the UK are we're, we're saying about 2.4% unemployed. The UK are predicting 7.5% on unemployment rate. So there's a significant difference. Obviously, a budget is about looking forward as well. This government, if I can describe it in the last years, had to be reactive to events. The next administration, if hopefully COVID disappears, is going to have to be proactive and grow the island again. Now, we've got figures like birth rate a third less than 2010, um, over five years more deaths and births. Looking to the future, is there cause for worry there? Well, you can't be, uh, you've got to be optimistic, you can't be complacent and a lot of work will have to be done. If we carry on the current trajectory, the Treasury team are predicting that it'll take two years to get back to, the, to where we need to be. So that's much quicker than most other jurisdictions are stating. But yes, we have to attract more business to the Alaman to relocate. It's something that the Department for Enterprise had been flat out working on and then along came COVID. But once we are able to lift our borders, we will be wanting to attract those businesses onto the Isle of Man. Just, just one, sorry, one last point. Just um, obviously you have to be places, but um, a point was made that government is still growing. Is that worrying? Well, it's growing in some areas. And, and I know when I was health minister, we took over the control and the running of, of certain nursing homes. And we took over... Um, doing some jobs that had been out at bank, it, it was cheaper for us to bring it in. So in some areas it has grown, but, but sometimes... The number of civil servants appears to be growing still, despite intentions to reduce that number. Well, I, I keep on getting asked to, to provide more and, and do more. Um, the cost is 
where, you know, can we reduce the cost? Yes, we, we should be looking at that. But equally, I've got a team of, of civil servants who have delivered phenomenally behind the scenes in, in the work for COVID. If I'd cut them to the bone, could we have delivered the 111 service, the the, the various um, track and trace systems that, that we've done? So, yes, of course we need to, and, and I've always been one to um, look for improvements and efficiencies, but I think sometimes picking on civil servants is unfortunate when, when you see how well they've delivered for us this year but I think this administration going forward will look to reduce the numbers of government employees where possible. Chief Minister thanks very much for joining us this lunchtime. If we move on to the health minister perhaps. Well we're talking about patiently. improvements and efficiencies health minister and Manx Care is uh, one of the areas which has been asked to find efficiencies. So it's given a, a lump sum of money and told to find 1% efficiencies within that budget, first of all. I mean, starting on the back foot, maybe? No, the efficiency um, regime built into the health service is built into many jurisdictions' health budgets. In fact, the 1% is actually low compared to most jurisdictions. The U In the UK, for instance, um, foundation and healthcare trusts are expected to find efficiency savings of roughly around about 2 to 2.5% 2 per year. So we're starting off very low with the 1%. It's been discussed with the new executive boards in place with Manx Care, they believe it was a they believe it's a realistic figure. Sir Jonathan Michael, who did the report, who has wide experience across different healthcare models, believes it is more than um, more than capable of being done. And the support that the Treasury has provided with us with today to be able to close some of the gaps, such as the eight eight million pound pay deficit, will actually help ensure that we start Manx Care on a sound footing. I just wanted to ask you about something else, which is. I think been criticised somewhat in the public and it's looking at the vaccination hubs and some people have questioned why and I know the, the term Rolls-Royce scheme has been bandied about in previous administrations but why we spent so much money on these hubs when really perhaps we could have done it more efficiently. Well, actually, these hubs are the most efficient way of delivering it. I know people see... But did they the, have to be done to such a level? They are a clinical area at the end of the day. And if you go around and two of the vaccinations, I don't know if you've had a chance to go into and have a look at the hubs, Beth, but there is 10 booths per hub. They are completely separate spaces. We have put contingency in so that in the event we did, God forbid, have another COVID outbreak on Ireland, we can introduce social distancing. So they are all designed to ensure that the throughput and flow through the vaccination hubs is as quick and efficient as possible because with the Pfizer vaccine as well we've got to remember that people have to remain 15 minutes after their appointment to make sure there's no immediate onset of side effects so that has to be catered for as well. As far as contingencies are concerned I see that the funder is receiving an additional £10 million to ensure DHSC has sufficient resources to undertake Covid vaccines. Now we get the vaccines free don't we? What is this going towards yeah, so or what would is, it be needed for? So there is the staffing resource for a start. Um, it doesn't staff itself John we've got to actually have the staff in place. There will need to be staff who need to work outside the ordinary hours to deliver it. Um, there is the supplies that go around the vaccination. So we are receiving the vaccination itself, but the storage is up to us where it has to be security in place. There's administration behind it. This is the most administrative heavy vaccine that has ever been in existence because it is under an emergency regulation. So I think on the last time I checked, there was 24 different administration processes that have to be gone through with this vaccine. Um, Manx Care, can I just ask you, is now the time to undergo this enormous appeal? Most definitely. Why? If now is not the time, then it will never be the time. And this is one of the problems. The healthcare system here on the island has been reviewed 
many dozens of times. Um, in fact, I've got a shelf up in my office which is straining under the weight of previous reports. And if we don't get it done now, we never will get it done. In fact, what we've seen with the pandemic and the response from the staff in DHSC shows why we need more resilience in our health service and Manx Care will deliver that. We shouldn't be stalling, we should be moving forward. If you've got any thoughts uh, on what you're listening to this afternoon, one double six, one double seven, or you can email studio at manxradio.com. I just want to, to raise an issue. Now, we're about halfway through, I think it's fair to say, the budget debate in Timwall. There have been some very interesting contributions so far. We're joined uh, around the table by the Infrastructure Minister, Tim Baker, and also Daphne Kane, MHK. Now, uh, Mrs Kane, your contribution really focused on what you really described as a lack of interest and a lack of investment in heritage. What's your issue? Um, my issue is that if we start with uh, Laxey in particular, the Laxey wheel is not turning, it's broken. I believe it needs over a million pounds to make it uh, turn, turn, turn again. And that isn't even in the budget. And my information is a, a suggestion that perhaps the anti-heritage bias of the Treasury is what I termed it, um, has prevented the Manx National Heritage from even applying to do that essential work. And in terms of the promenade, I was um, pretty upset to see that um, funding that the whole of Timwall three times now, I think, has had an affirmative vote to say, just get on and complete the horse tram track, the length of the promenade, including Lock Promenade. The current minister gave a pledge that that would be done. And yet, by a sleight of hand of the Treasury, the funding for the £1.2 million to complete the uh, promenade, the lock promenade section, has gone into the third column, which will require another vote of Timwell. That isn't automatic. And my worry is, actually, that that isn't sufficient to complete the promenade, and it's just another fudge. And meanwhile, while all this criticism is happening over the uh, promenade, the interruption to business, just the hassle of it all, more and more people just turning their venom and are going against the horse trams instead of saying, why has this project been so inefficiently delivered? And why can't we just have the whole scheme finished this year when we know we're going to have a reduced number of visitors. Mr Baker, some questions for you. A number of questions there from Mrs Kane and to be fair she's she's made similar similar tone comments previously about about the department and about the prom scheme. I mean, let me make it really clear, I've said since I came in back in June last year, the first first commitment I made was that I was committed to getting the will of Timwall delivered and that included doing the single track horse tram down to the sea terminal. Now, at the time, we, we had to look at the scheme and um, see how could we deliver it in order to give the hospitality and visitor economy section the best chance of having a summer season this, this, this year. So we did that, and it was taken, that piece of the project was taken out of scope, along with some other elements of the scheme which had been delivered di- directly by DOI's own workforce. So that's, that's the situation. That's what was reflected in the Purple Book back in uh, July last year, the Treasury Minister brought forward and at the time there was a £750,000 additional funding for for the scheme and it was made clear that the DOI would be required to um, to, to, to complete the uh, the horse tram track out of its own resources that was the deal then, that's the, that's the deal now, what Treasury have done is effectively move some money from the general heritage rail budget into um, a specific allocation for the horse tram track and as you say Mrs Kane they've put it in column three which requires the department to come back to Timwald in order to access that 
that, that amount of money. You can see how that looks from the public's point of view, though, doesn't it? It's been decided on, that's what's going to happen. Oh, now it might not do. I can see that, absolutely. But really, you've got to ask that question to the Treasury Minister, not, not to me, because the, uh, the Department put it, has, has made the commitment that it's uh, going to do it. It's going to come back and deliver it next, uh, next, next winter. The Treasury team can put the budget together how, how, how they wish, and they've, they've made it explicit, and um, they've, they've made it a column three item. This, this is very much a, a core celebre, or should I say a horse celebre, but if I could ask uh, Ms Kane again, do you think the majority of the island are adamant that this horse tram track should go through? Do you think the majority well, behind you? It depends if you think that investment in our heritage and investment in the past is actually an investment in our future, which was a great uh, comment on Twitter that I just noticed. The, this action is giving us a fear that even with the Minister's assurance and, and seemingly the Minister's decision and, and position on completing the horse tram track, that there is an anti-heritage bias within Treasury because you've, you've said it's Treasury that's put the money there, that you would have gone ahead and finished it. And my worry is that in the meantime, while we're dithering over it, the, the promenade scheme is going to be completed with landscaping, and that's extra work and extra cost to do a landscaping that you're going to then potentially dig up to the minister come in then. Yeah, I mean, my position hasn't changed from from the first day I was in this job. I, there, there was views expressed at the time that, that the department didn't wish to c come and complete the job. It did, but it needed to get off the prom for the summer season to give the visitor economy the best chance it possibly could could have. Now, things have got have, have worsened from a visitor economy point of view since then, and and the the summer season is looking. It's looking shorter. Obviously, there's question marks around some of the events towards the back end. We already know TT's gone. But my job as a DR minister is to get the job done and to be, be direct about it. The contractor has committed to the, to the end of July to, to complete the job. Now, that was the end of June. Uh, clearly, the, the, the circuit breaker lockdown resulted in a slippage. I can't criticise the contractor for that. They were told to down tools. They were told to get off-site and to go home. And that's what they did. So... We, we, we were at June, we're now at July. Nothing's changed from my point of view. I'm not going to criticise Treasury, but I'm just making it, making it clear that my commitment is to do what I've said. Can I just expand the question a little bit? Because Mr Robertshaw, when he got up to speak, suggested that your department was the number one department in, char in, cha in need of desperate change. Well, Would, you've been in there a while now. What do you think? Mr, Mr Robertshaw did make that point, and I haven't had my... Uh, my, my chance to comment yet in the budget um, speech, but to give Mr. Robert Shaw a little uh, advanced, adv advanced He's notice. He's joining us now, by the of, way, with a uh, smile on his face. Of where I intend to go, I'll give him the list of, I think there's either seven or eight reviews of DOI that have already been done in this department, sorry, in this administration, largely under the guise of, this, of the SAFE scheme, but bus, rail, highways, airport, harbours, uh, to, to name five off the top of my head, have all, be, have all been looked at. Um, the, the housing offering was looked at under the Tolson review, which I believe was 2011. So the department's been reviewed and reviewed and reviewed. And what I would say to Mr Robertshaw is it, it's fine to say that arm's length entities, which is where Tim Walters has committed its uh, support to move in the airport in due course, um, is, is, is going to, to be an enhancement. But actually, um, can we guarantee that? The things that we've moved to arm's length, like Manx Care, you've got a significant cost uplift. To, One to, last to point. Um, it was a point made by someone in the street uh, we talked to. Um, potholes. Uh, they are always with us, like the poor. Absolutely. There's not a lot we can do about them, is there? We're just going to have to live with them. The, we I, throw I, some money at them. Well, I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be delighted to have some more money to spend with it. We work with the, bu with the budget that we've got. Uh, we have to make the best use Has of it. Has the situation improved since you've come in? 
Uh, in the nine months since September, months, since June, yeah. I, I wouldn't claim to have significantly improved the situation on potholes now. But um, so the system is still the same, and that's the best system that there is to to attend. We, to. We, I know we, it's a formidable problem. We've we've got a rail, sorry, a road network which is a legacy of the past. It's been underfunded for years. We know there's a backlog of uh, of maintenance spend, but the other the other point is many of our roads, particularly in the, in the rural areas, are structurally. Uh, very, very limited. A lot, a lot of them are farm tracks that have been tarmacked over. Um, they are, they are going to deteriorate. We know the climate uh, challenges that we've, that we've got. Um, that makes the problem worse. I could spend an awful lot more money on, uh, on, on highways maintenance, uh, but it, we've got to put this into context. We've got a pa we've had a pandemic. Our reserves are decimated. We've got to manage very, very uh, prudently through, the, through this period. And frankly. Um, whether we fix a pothole or not doesn't fundamentally put any more money back into the uh, economy of the Isle of Man. I don't think anybody envies you your job, uh, Infrastructure Minister. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I just want to bring uh, Claire Barber, MHK, in here. You've been listening to uh, the budget debate this morning. What are your initial thoughts? So I think uh, it, it's a budget that was almost needed for this particular period in time. Um, it, it was never going to be a, a big impact budget. It had to be both cautious, um, but also seek to uh, address those challenges that we do have around um, employment and around making sure that we remain somewhere that people do want to stay or, or look to come here to work. So I think it by keeping the taxation levels as they were, I think that, that has been a real benefit. Um, saying that, I do have concerns around some of those longer-term um, pieces, such as the uh, pension fund, um, also climate change, and making sure that we're putting enough money to the side and our, our plans are robust enough to deal with those big-ticket items that are coming down, down the road. The climate change one's an interesting one, isn't it? It's been described everywhere as a ticking time bomb. Five million uh, set aside for it this year, I mean, is that anywhere near enough? Are we taking it anywhere near seriously enough? I think that for me there's, there's a nervousness with the interplay between the climate change bill, which I think actually a lot of that could have been done without the bill, and there's been a huge focus on that when actually it's fundamentally is going to be about having provision in terms of finances and whether that be through government making appropriate changes in terms of our own infrastructure or supporting people through um, schemes to, to make changes to their infrastructure it will probably be a, a significant blend of the, the two but the reality for me is that uh, you know the big carrot and stick uh, debate is, is so fundamental we can't just put fines in for people not doing it without putting the support in to enable people to make necessary changes and I know a huge number of people who are absolutely committed to making climate change uh, changes that are needed for their property, for their vehicles, simply can't afford to do that. And we're going to have to see how we can act as an enabler. And that is going to need money. When you were talking to people in your constituency, obviously a heavily populated constituency, what, was, what were their fears about what was going to happen? What, what about this budget? Were they thinking it's going to be an awful budget? We're really going to suffer? I think people were nervous that there could be um, hikes in taxation or changes in that regard from people that have spoken to me directly. Um, that obviously isn't a founded concern, but there's a nervousness just more generally about how we're going to balance the budgets. They know there's been a large expenditure against COVID, which needed to be spent. We can't say we could have just drifted along, not spent anything. I think there's no question it had to be spent, but it's about how we now bring ourselves back into a position where we can have surplus budgeting and we can start to, to rebuild those uh, pools of money that we do need for the next rainy day because this isn't going to be the only one. 
The Treasury Minister has joined us, actually. Um, I think, what's the surplus Treasury? It's about 200,000 or something, isn't it, this year or something? Well, for, the forecast for next year is that, is that we will produce a budget with £200,000 right. um, surplus to it. That, that is just basically so we can say we've got a surplus, is it? Well, we, no, we, we, every year we, we, you know, we bring forward a budget that is balanced. That is our requirement. And you know, in the previous years of this administration, we've set out a five-year plan, and part of that was to grow our surpluses significantly in order that we could account for the uh, diminishing pensions um, reserve. Uh, obviously, that plan now has been somewhat uh, shifted in terms of uh, the, the, the time it's going to take to do that. Uh, and next year really very much is about delivering uh, a very small surplus, but really keeping the stability in terms of our public finances and, of course, in terms of the uh, actions that are going to result from this budget in terms of the impact on people and, and businesses. There's quite a big question mark over the final expenditure revenue sharing arrangement, isn't it, FOSA? Uh, you don't know what VAT we're going to get at the end of the year. Very difficult to budget with that background. Well, we do, we do in the sense that, you know, we now have a calculation agreed with the UK, which was has been approved effectively uh, last year, uh, meant that the provisions that we'd set aside uh, over the previous four budgets have proved to be accurate. In fact, ended up with a small surplus last year. Um, we've made a prudent provision in this year's forecasting for that uh, calculation in terms of the impact of the lockdowns that, that would have been felt and the knock-on impact in terms of uh, spending and expenditure. Um, but again, we've made, I, I think, a prudent forecast in terms of, of that impact, and we will be negotiating and talking to the UK in uh, April and May this year, and we'll obviously confirm to everybody what, what the outcome of that discussion is in terms of what we believe our share to be. How worried do you think the public is that we're still so reliant on the UK for that, though? Having, it's, it's, I don't think the public should be worried at all. I think it's a proper and fair uh, ne negotiated settlement. I think it's a vital part of the tools of our, of our budgeting process. It works incredibly well for us. We're very lucky to have this uh, agreement with the UK. I think it's right for the island. And, you know, we shouldn't be worried. We've got a very fair settlement going on. It, uh, you know, contributes significantly to um, public services and the delivery of public services, but it's right, it's proper, and it's fair. So I think everybody should should actually be uh, both confident that we're in a in a good position in terms of that uh, agreement with the UK now, and that it's got stability for the future. And you're looking at five percent increases uh, in the next two years, I think, in tax income. And that's presumably if COVID behaves itself, if I can put it that way. So we made uh, our best case uh, forecasts for this budget. I think, as I told or tried to explain to Tim all this morning, you know, it's really in many ways a one-year budget. We have forecasted out into the distance, but uh, that's, that forecast is going to be subject to change depending on what happens now in the next um, 12 months. There's been a tremendous amount of uncertainty all the way through this uh, crisis. Um, you know, we, we are forecasting on the strength of, of how we've seen the economy recover from the last lockdown, the belief that the vaccines are actually going to work and that we've got, you know, sustainable infrastructure uh, in terms of our economic performance and the stability of our, our bigger, bigger international businesses to take us through successfully. Can I just throw something from left field at you? You said you were early in the year going to talk to the steam packet about various things. I think you said that at the end of last year. Have you had those talks? Yeah, we continue to, to uh, work very closely with the steam packet. You know, clearly uh, that, that business is, as, is, will be fairly obvious to everybody that there will be financial impact in terms of 
uh, its its fiscal performance, and it will be coming forward uh, later this year. But to they update. make their money out of freight, don't they? I mean, the majority oh, of the money is a large, freight, a large proportion. But obviously, you know, when 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 you've had that uh, passenger income virtually completely taken away, it is going to have an impact, and there has been disruption to freight services as well. So we'll update everybody in the next couple of months about the performance of the steam packet. I think one of the headlines of the budget that the public is going to pick up on, no tax rises. I mean, you would describe that, I think, as a good news story from a good news treasury, just to quote you uh, from your speech. But it was interesting listening to the discussion programme just before this one with people saying, actually, tax rises aren't necessarily such a big problem. They're not such a bad thing. Things need to be paid for. We need to find the money. So are you just leaving this as a problem for the next Treasury Minister? No, I think the focus of this budget is about stabilising the economy and make sure that we can you know, get, get ourselves successfully through the next 12 months without any major shocks to the system. So uh, fundamentally, really stable, keeping, keeping the economy stable. We're not making any significant adjustments uh, to, in terms of public spending. You know, we're putting £15 million pounds of that more into, into health and one or two other areas are also getting, getting small uplifts. Um, but primarily this is about stabilising the economy, protecting jobs, investing for the future. They're the key themes that are driving us through, not only in, from a Treasury perspective, but from an economic recovery perspective. You know, no, no tax rises is the right thing for, for this occasion. And I think there will, will clearly be uh, for next year's budget, a, a new sort of review in terms of both of the, the fiscal strategy um, of the island moving forward uh, and indeed potentially some, some changes to the way that, that public finance is um, you know, going to be delivered and what services are going to take priority. But we're also helping that process. We've got a new e announcement this morning and you know, we're going to have a new economic framework being brought forward. So we're commissioning a, an international business to help us with that. We'll be bringing that forward in the next few months. Tim will have an opportunity to debate that. We've also got a uh, review international insurance, uh, the, the national insurance system. I think a lot of people will have views on that following the, 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 million out of it, haven't you? the, the pandemic. Out and the so I think these... These will provide a platform for some serious discussions going into next year's budget. 71 million out of the National Insurance Fund to help us through this. Is, does that give us a problem? I mean, it's a lot, it seems the man in the street must think that's, that's a lot of money just to disappear from the fund. Well, I mean, you know, we've been through a crisis. That fund has helped support people's jobs. It's helped support their incomes. We've paid for the salary support, nearly 60 plus million pounds of salary support, nine and a half million pounds and mere 100 million pounds in total of direct support has gone. Uh, it directly into businesses, self-employed and families on, on this island. I stand by my assertion it's the correct thing to do. The National Insurance Fund, as, as, as it says on the tin, is, is an insurance fund and it was the right place to, to take the money from to address the immediate problems that we were facing. Uh, and just one thing, the public sector employer pension reserves due to run out between 22 and to be paid for by, by revenue after that. Are we still on course to carry that out? Yeah, yeah, abso we to, absolutely. I suppose, well, I mean, we? I, that was the whole part of the fiscal plan that we started on our journey um, four, four years ago, almost nearly five years ago now. But, you know, our plan was always that, that you know, we had to factor in this looming uh, deficit cost in terms of the public sector pensions. And, you know, we were always going to smooth out that transition by building our uh, surpluses up to significant levels, controlling public finances, and then when we got, and using that pension reserve to help uh, balance the books, and then when we got to the end period in 2022-2023, um, that transition would then affect smoothly without any negative impact on public services or financing required for critical areas within government. Uh, a very brief yes-no question. Does Treasury have an anti-heritage bias? Absolutely not. Uh, 
Uh, glad to see Bill Shimon sat down here, who's been looking after our capital projects. That, that, that's just absolute nonsense uh, that this morning. I mean, you know, we spent millions of pounds, and I'm sure you will hear this afternoon, of the millions of pounds that have been invested in, in Heritage Railways. But look, you know, the Heritage Rails, Railways, of course, are an important part of our um, infrastructure. There's always room for, for, for significant improvement in, in a number of areas. And indeed, when I respond this afternoon to some of the points that have been raised, I'll be um, outlining outlining that but you know our focus I think and, and Bill I'm sure we'll have some views on this but but our, our focus really is making sure that, that there's been proper prioritization applied to our uh, capital program and also you know at the moment our big focus is in ensuring um, as I said that we are delivering on the core themes of reacting to this pandemic by stabilizing the economy protecting jobs and investing in our future and I think you know to pick up on one small element of, of expenditure 1.2 million pounds and, and the promenade really was a bit a bit unfortunate uh, just a, just a point before you leave us um, I think it was your father that said two million pounds wasn't really enough to have in reserves let's start building um, we are now we've reached that rainy day and we have massive reserves over a billion uh, yeah. basically well, and, where it and, and uh, you know what's pleasing is the investment is back to where it was Broadly speaking, pre pre the pandemic, 1.6 billion pounds. I think. I think. I think. Look, you know, as part of the point of saying it's a budget of, of of resilience, I think it has proved to be resilient. The islands proved to be resilient, and our reserves have proved to be resilient. And you know, it's good to be able to to make those statements today and and give some positivity. I think for the next 12 months. Treasury Minister, thank you very much. If we turn our attention to Mr. Shimmons. Well, I just wanted to pick up on, on one point, if I can, Mr. Shimmons. He was a Treasury member. We were listening to Mr. Baker talking about um, the horse trams. And this is the reality, isn't it? When people think about budgets, it's the people who are listening, who think about the things that affect them, that they understand. And the budget is a very complicated process, essentially. But essentially what he said was, is that money was taken from the horse tram that was promised to go all the way to the sea terminal and that's going to have to go back for a vote. Why has that been allowed to happen? Well, I think <clears throat> that's a very interesting perspective on the Douglas Promenade project, which of course is significantly over budget and way behind schedule. So uh, the previous Minister of Infrastructure had a slightly different take on that. So I think as there are a variety of views on this, I think it's absolutely appropriate that the whole of Timwold gets the chance um, to discuss and debate the ongoing issue with the horse trams. Uh, and I think we also need to take into account the views of the people that run businesses on the promenade who have had to suffer um, real disruption uh, to their businesses for, for more than a year after when this, these works were supposed to be completed. And just as we're coming out of this crisis and hopefully we'll get visitors coming back and people will be getting back to work, getting back to their jobs, we're proposing to close the whole thing down again. So I think there's a number of different factors in that. So um, I think a number of people... Could you live without the horse tram down the end? In, in terms of living without the horse tram, I think we need to weigh up a number of different factors. And so let's not preempt that debate, would be my view. Because I think everyone will have, will have a different perspective on that, which I respect. But I think we do need to look at everything in a more balanced, round way. Chris Roberts, Shaw, Rabbit case joining us. You're shaking your head. What a load of waffle. I mean, goodness <laughs> me. The fact of the matter is the funds were committed for that horse tram. The fact is that the government messed up the delivery of that facility. And it's just convenient for some people to, as it were, by sleight of hand and, and the waffle that just described by Mr. Shimmons there to try and push it out and get us to vote for it again. Disgraceful. It's not on.
that tram should go f uh, should be extended and remember the only reason it was delayed in the first place if you recall was that it was going to be uh, it was going to be delayed in order to allow the the promenade to open but the world has changed since then and it's clearly self-evident that at the time those of us on the promenade really concerned about it said look we're content for that tram service to, to the sea terminal to, to continue after the rest of the, tr the, the, the um, promenade was finished and despite the, the hotels being open and so this is this is really a black mark uh, on this administration when in fact for the rest the, the budget has been excellent and, and, and worthy of full support. Mr Schumann's investments as far as the island is concerned, it's been a very useful market, hasn't it? I mean the market has risen, our investments are back where they, they were before. That's really where this budget has been able to build its foundations on. It's really helpful that our investments, our, all of our reserves have recovered so, so well uh, Following the crises, and we have we have managed they can those. They go down, though, can't they? Of course, of course. I mean, investments go up and people down. People are building but we, their we, hopes on the vaccines. If the vaccines are proved not to be as efficacious as it's hoped, the thing could go down again, couldn't it? We have a diversified approach to our investments, and we take a conservative. You have five different. We have five different investment managers. We look at our asset allocations. We tweaked a number of asset allocations uh, throughout this last twelve to eighteen months, reflecting the various. Um, influencing factors in terms of the markets. But the great news is that our investments have recovered so strongly that we're actually well above 1.6 billion, which does give a firm foundation. And this whole budget is a budget of resilience. Please disregard the, the, the I think, slightly misleading remarks we've just heard about the horse trams. We cannot let the horse trams dominate the debate of, about our budget. This is a budget of resilience, and it will present, uh, I think, a great platform for economic recovery, which is what the people of this island need. Claire Christian, MHK, joins us. Is that what you're seeing from this budget? Well, I think, I think your listeners um, should really be concentrating on um, that there's no change to the income tax personal allowance um, and to the higher rate tax threshold. And really what they're going to need to know is when they're putting in their end-of-year claims um, that these haven't changed. So that's a message that I'd like to say So, in amongst all of this budget um, that they're trying to focus on something like that that really helps self-employed people to know that. Um, national contributions are remaining the same um, and I'm pleased to hear that the, the pension triple lock has been honoured as well. Um, but what I would say is, is that I would have liked to have seen perhaps uh, some more ingenious ideas about um, how to put more money back into the pockets of the people. There's nothing there. What um, would your ingenious idea be then? So, um, so I, I came up, uh, well, I didn't come up with it. I would like to have seen um, something that the UK government have um, brought in, which is an employment allowance, um, which allows each business to employ four full-time employees on the national living wage without having to pay... But where would the money come from for that? This is what we're talking about, isn't it? There's so limited it's, it's about without them having to pay the national insurance contribution over the year and what this actually does the benefit for this is it would boost the economy and the investment of small businesses so that the small businesses can employ more staff on a living wage on a national living wage putting more money back into pockets of employees and we've got a huge amount of redundancies that are happening at the moment so we want to be encouraging small businesses to actually uptake more employees and expand their businesses that's putting money into pockets for people to take money out of pockets uh, they, it's useful to have branches of the bank 
banks. Uh, Mr. Shimmins, as a former MD of the Isle of Man Bank, obviously, and you were there when one or two of the branches on various places closed down. What is your view of this? Is it inevitable that we're going to lose all the local branches? I, I certainly don't think it's inevitable that we'll, we'll lose all the local branches. I think what you're seeing is a reaction to customer uh, patterns, customer behaviour. So uh, far fewer people are going into to banks, far fewer people going into post You're offices. You're the case for inevitability, I think. You uh, well, I think if you look at the uh, trend, the trend is clear. So more and more people are choosing to use electronic means to, to do basic transactions. And that, whether that be banks, whether that be post offices, whether that be retailing. There's a great chunk of people, so, older people, who like to see, to go into counters, have a chat with people and come out again. There are still a lot of people in that position. So these are trends that are affecting a whole raft of, of sectors. So retail is, is, is significantly affected. We see a number of UK uh, shops close their, their Isle of Man outlets. You're seeing banks uh, re retrenched from some of their branches. You're seeing post offices. The, the, the decline in footfall in post offices is going down significantly. I think what we have to accept is that the world is changing and the trends are clear. Do you accept there's a lot of people in the Isle of Man who would still like to go into their local I branch? absolutely accept that we need not to forget about the people who, are, who struggle to cope with technology and perhaps are unable to access these electronic alternatives. That's why there is a responsibility to ensure that these people do have access. Now, I absolutely agree Whose with that. Whose responsibility is that? Then? So what I would say is so it is unrealistic to expect that if the world is changing so rapidly that everything will remain the same. So that is why we have... Uh, at really at an advanced stage, looking at a new economic strategy for the island because the, the economic landscape has changed significantly, not just to, due to COVID. In many ways, COVID accelerated a trend with technology that we'd seen previously. It is absolutely right that we need a, a robust economic strategy which will help drive the, the economy and the prosperity of the people on the island. And that, that's a very important announcement that the Treasury Minister made today. But, Mr. Schmitz, this trend has been happening for a while now, so sure. surely we should have reacted to this much more quickly. It feels like we are on the back foot almost. I, I think in many ways we're behind the curve in terms of the trend, to be honest. I think we have tried to artificially maintain um, facilities that weren't being used. Now, that in many ways it would be better to accept this change is happening, how do we help people who are going to struggle with this change? So I think there has been a misleading approach to say we must maintain everything the way it is, and that's just not tenable. Far better, in my view, to say we know this trend is happening, let's work with people to help them. So what's been done in that area? That. What's been done to do that? Well, I think you've seen uh, limited progress in my view. What you are seeing, unfortunately, is a demand to maintain everything the way it was 30 years ago. Unfortunately, we can't invent the internet. That's a basic fact. So what we need to do is help those people who don't have access to the internet. And it's been a bit of a, a, an unfortunate approach, in my view, from Tim Mould, in terms of which tends to look backwards, which tends to try and maintain the past with, with uh, a kind of slightly roast-tinted view of the past. And, and the reality is that people decide, people decide what is the best way for them to do these transactions, and they tend to choose the most convenient and safe method for it. In effect, the Alamand Bank is doing what RBS is telling it to do. It has no choice. I don't believe this is an Alamand Bank-specific issue. I think if you look at all the banks, they're all in that situation. If you look at the post offices, we've got the same issue. If you look at retail, we've got the same issue. I think it's absolutely wrong to single out one particular entity. This is a trend which is affecting the whole yeah, of society. The as well is, is being affected by this. So, 
I think all of the banks in Elaman have closed branches in, 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 in the recent past. So I think it's wrong um, to single one. This is a trend which is affecting society. I think it's also wrong to expect everything to remain the same as it is, as it was in the past. And that's a key issue, isn't it? When we're talking about reinventing our economy and rejuvenating it, yes. encouraging students to come back here. We need to be more forward thinking. We need to have initiatives in place which make the Isle of Man a place where people want to live, they want to work, they want to raise their families. What is there that's doing this? So, absolutely, couldn't agree more. That's why the, the investment that we're putting in in terms of broadband connectivity is essential. Um, but what I would like to say is... I think, that, with all due respect, it's going to take more than broadband, really. We want to have, you know, the, sh the shops on the high street. We want to have a place where people really want to live absolutely. and bring up their families. So, so I'm delighted that the Treasury Minister has also announced that the Manx Development Corporation is proceeding. So that, that particular body will be a powerful catalyst to regenerate our urban spaces, looking at the brown field sites, the empty buildings that we have, and actually bring back that um, vibrancy into it to, to our town. It's interesting you were saying we shouldn't be living in the past, but we've been arguing about the horse trams earlier, well, which is very much living in many in ways, the past, I think it, it just reflects uh, some of the mentality. Unfortunately, I think we need to be forward-looking, not backward-looking. We, we should be very proud of our heritage, and we should certainly help people um, who are struggling with technology. But we cannot cling on to the past. We need to accept that the world is changing around us. But what we also need is action rather than review, surely. And we seem to be reviewing everything at the moment. I think we are taking action. I think the action we're taking on broadband connectivity, the action we're taking in terms of our economic strategy, the action that we're taking with the Mines Development Corporation is firm evidence that we're taking action. So um, I, I would suggest to you that we are taking action and, and Treasury is doing its bit to support the action across government. Laurie Hooper, MHK, your Hello. thoughts? Um, I, I kind of agree with Bill on a bit of that, actually. Um, I agree with you that government isn't acting quickly enough. We are talking about things, and we're talking about the same things we were talking about five years ago. Uh, and that's not good in anyone's book. Uh, but in terms of taking action, um, I, I think you're right. Government needs to, to learn from the coronavirus experience in a lot of ways. And rather than just write report after report, actually just try something. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the development corporation, for example, that's a piece of work that myself and Mr. Shimmins have been driving forward ourselves. Uh, I think PA, uh, the uh, Positive Action Group described us as leading from the back the other day. And, and that's that's quite a fair comment, I think, because the intention of this is to actually get it up and running. Let's get it up and running. Let's see what happens. Let's try it. And if it, if it works, that's brilliant. If it doesn't work, well, you can change things. You can evolve the process. And I think you've talked about this uh, in terms of community services and banking services and access to facilities. This concept of a community hub has been talked about for years. What does it look like? How do we help? How do we get government services into communities? And this is a point where I disagree with Mr. Shimmins, actually. The, the trend absolutely is moving to online. But one of the key benefits of the island is that sometimes you can see somebody face to face and it isn't a call centre the other side of the country. You can walk in and have that conversation with someone who's supportive and helpful and can guide you through government services. And I think actually that community hub concept is coming back to the fore and again it's about can we get something done this administration? If it doesn't quite work let's change it, let's evolve it, let's move it through that iterative process instead of waiting until the 11th hour because we haven't got the perfect solution. Well that's fine, we're going to make mistakes, let's try things, see what works for us. Just draw Mr. Robertshaw in. Um, obviously, your long experience of being on the promenade in the Sefton Hotel, the prom re 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 refurbishment is approaching its end. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Is it going to be uh, the golden goose? Is it going to be the thing that saves the promenade? Is everything going to flourish after that? Well, that's a bit. <clears throat> that's a bit of a simplistic question, and there's no. It is, isn't yeah. It? Yes. So, I, I'd, I'd rather come back to the budget if you don't mind, because I mean that's what we're here for. Uh, <coughs> uh, and the, the but it's very important that the promenade succeeds, isn't it? 
Yes, but that, that's part of a, a much bigger picture. Uh, it's good investment. I'm, I, I, but I really don't want to, if, if I'm going to contribute today, I don't want to get dragged back to horse trams and, and promenade again. Uh, I, I'd like to address the, the principle of, of my contribution to, to the debate this morning, which recognised the fact that there are very significant issues within the structure of government that need to be addressed if we're going to move forward successfully. And we've just gone through two big black swan events, the one we're going through now and the one in 2010. And my contribution was addressing the issue of what is it that we need to do to make government better at what it does. And, and I went through a, a series of issues uh, there that, that have been going on about now, for goodness sake, for about nine years and bored people to death over it. But they still matter hugely. I mean, you said government is still growing. Uh, we put that to Mr. Quayle. He says, basically, people are demanding services, and you need people to provide those yeah, services. And, and the Chief Minister is quite right in the sense that you need to invest in frontline services, but the corollary of that is you need to make the back office function much more uh, efficient and slim it down. And this, to, to, to be, you know, fair dues to this administration, it's done major reviews on health and social care and education. But that process has, has got to roll on right the way through the rest of the departments. And I was amused by Mr. Baker's comment about, oh, well, we've review, reviewed everything inside the DOI. It's not about departments reviewing themselves. It's about an external application to decide, uh, review, to decide what needs to happen to make that organisation efficient. And the same needs to apply to, to, to DEFRA as well. But it, it, this will result in a progress, it started already really, but this will result in a progressive rolling um, uh, reform of government, which, I, which I'm absolutely passionate about. And it must keep going. Because if there are going to be black swan events in the future, and there may very well be, uh, I mean, the international reaction uh, to the debts that now exist right across the system might ultimately come back and hit the Isle of Man. So we, we've got to focus on making our government organisation as efficient as it possibly can be. And that was the essence of what I was trying to say. And I guess the, the big question then is, is how and how do you do it quickly enough? You don't do it quickly. I mean, those who've done it quickly have sort of tripped up somewhat. But um, the, the, our, our current structure does not lend itself to, to future efficiency. And uh, I, I've argued, we've had these discussions years ago um, um, about the, the need for a single legal entity, uh, about making frontline services well um, invested, but operational, and collecting the strategic minds uh, more in the centre rather than trying to e expect every one of our departments to be conglomerates, which just doesn't work. The problem is, though, Mr Robert Shaw, is that people listening to that possibly won't even understand what you're saying. What does it mean for them? What matters is that the government understands what needs to be done. Um, it's not necessary that every member of the public understands it. They What, what they want to see is high-quality services delivered by uh, well-funded frontline workers. And that's, that's its outcomes for them. The task is for government itself to, to, to uh, accelerate the change that started. Very quickly, Mr Hooper. Uh, 
The, the how is actually relatively straightforward. Timwald has, has approved now a, an Auditor General function to be appointed this year, which the Treasury Minister mentioned again in his budget speech. And it's that continuous iterative review. That's what does it. One-off big reviews are great, but actually after the consultants have done their review and left the island and gone home, who is there then to hold government departments accountable and make sure that they are delivering on some of the things the review promises? And actually who's there to say, well, did that review go far enough and what's happening now? Having an Auditor General in post will make sure that this review system that Mr. Robertshaw was talking about is continuous. It's always there. And if these reports and information is always in the public eye, because these reports will be public, how, does, how do people know what's happening? How do people know the things that are improving? How are things getting better? Actually, the core of it is having that, that functioning independent scrutiny that's well-resourced and is provided by experts who are based here on Ireland who can continuously follow up, as opposed to just one-off consultant reviews that we do every time that the government gets a bit squiffy on something. So Mr. Robertshaw is absolutely right in what he's talking about, but I think the solution has been presented to us already. People like myself and the Speaker have been arguing for it for years. It's, it's finally coming about, and I think we will start seeing gradual improvements over the next few years. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Hooper. We'll let the members get back to uh, uh, the 2.30 restart of the debate. Uh, spoken already on the debate is uh, Daphne Kane, Claire Christian, Mr. Hooper, Quine, Boot, Robertshaw, Ashford, Watson, and Skelly. My thanks indeed to our guests today, Mr. Quayle, Kane, Robertshaw, Hooper, uh, Claire Christian, Tim Baker, the Treasury Minister, Alf Cannon, uh, Claire Barber, and Bill Shimmins. Thank you very much to Beth, my colleague, sitting next to me here. Uh, and I hope uh, that not just this programme, but the programme that came before it, the Man in Line, was useful to you in actually understanding what this immensely complicated business, the budget each year, is about, particularly this year, and what a special budget it's been. From us, 